Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Eyal Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we are now on our seventh year. Don't ask me how that all just flew by, but it did. Man, time moves fast. And it's only because of you, the listeners. If you'd like us to stick around another seven years, and there's a few simple things you can do that would really, really help us out. I would endlessly appreciate if you would, number one, share our episodes with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me at Levy URM Audio and at URM Academy and, of course, our guest. And number three, leave us reviews and five-star reviews wherever you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again... Thank you for all the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never charge you for this podcast, and I will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way. All we ask in return is a share, a post, and tag us. Oh, and one last thing. Do you have a question you would like me to answer on an episode? I don't mean for a guest. I mean for me. It can be about anything. Email it to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. There's no dot com on that. It's exactly the way I spelled it. And use the subject line, answer me al. All right, let's get on with it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the URM podcast. My guest today is uh, one of my favorite people in the game, Mr. Lawrence McRory. He is a mixer, mastering engineer, producer from Sweden, and he's worked with bands like Meshuga, Catatonia, Bloodbath, Decapitated, and a bunch more. I met him when we went to Sweden for Nail the Mix with Daniel Bergstrand, which was actually really cool. Anyhow, let's get into it. Here goes. Lawrence McCrory, welcome to the URM podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Al. Thank you. Pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure for me too. Been a minute. It's been a long time. I actually remember in 17, I think it was, and you said, but it was the first time we met in person uh, when we were doing, uh, at Daniel's, we were doing Future Breed Machine, uh, Nail the Mix. And you said, yeah, we should do a podcast. Yeah. And now it's finally happening a few years later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was serious then. Yeah. Um, some things just take time. Good things take time. It's good, you know. It has to brew for a long time, I think. Yeah. Marinate. You marinate, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Aged finely. <laughs> so, uh, but you've been up to a whole lot in those few years. I actually think it's better that we waited a little while because so much has happened for you and to you since then. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I didn't have... A lot of credits back then. Well, I had a lot of credits. I was uh, doing a lot of work for Daniel and I had been doing a lot of local work and smaller bands for a long time. But the last few years have been really good and it's just been uh, the, the work has been piling on and been doing bigger and, and better, in my opinion, work. Everything's great. When I met you, were you technically assisting Daniel? I wasn't sure I understood exactly. Or were, or did you just have a room at his studio? Like, how did that work? Both, I guess. Okay, so so it was both. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't really, you know, something that was spoken about. It was just like he had some guy there and he was leaving, kind of an intern, and he was leaving. And uh, where I was was like closing down as well, the studio that I worked in. And we were talking and it was like just like... Yeah, obviously, I'm just going to move up to him. 
him and sit there in the other room. And I was doing, I was helping him with productions. And I was also doing my own kind of mixing and having my own clients there as well. So, so it was kind of like a collaboration, but then also still, you know, working on my, my own clients, you know. How did you meet him and develop a relationship to the point where you could be the dude that got the room and got to work with him on stuff? Yeah, so that goes way, way back. I went to like um, a media high school thing and, you know, I was I was dead set on becoming a like a film photographer. But while I was there, I was kind of like getting sucked into audio because I was I was film photographer yeah I was like I want to I want to be a film photographer so I went to a media high school with with that in mind you know I was thinking if I if I'm going to have kind of um a direction that's the thing I'm picking you know you could learn anything there like be a journalist or like computer programming or radio whatever so I wasn't really into sound then but I became while I was there became really into it so I quickly you know put that aside and and started being really interested in audio so when when that quit I, w- I I wanted to keep um learning more about this and I and I went to school in another town it was supposed to be one year of music production studio thing you know in in one year but I wasn't even halfway through it while I got uh, the message from a friend back in Uppsala who was in a band and his band recorded with Daniel a few times and he said uh, Daniel uh, needs an assistant he, he's back in Sweden because he'd been gone from Sweden Sweden for a couple of years and he said he's back in Sweden he's opened up the studio again and he needs uh, somebody there an intern basically so I just left what I was doing there I didn't even finish the the course because I was thinking you know my mom was really like she was like don't you think it's good to have a you know degree a piece of paper that says that you have done this and I was like yes but I think my name being associated with these you know, Meshuga recordings is going to further my my career a bit better. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, well, that's a, the that's a thing is that I tell people is there's literally two paths to making this work. Lots of people say there's no rule book, no, no path that's bullshit. There's two paths. One is you work for people or with people who are doing the kind of work you want to do. Yeah. So, you know, you want to work with bands like Meshuga, so you find a way to work at the studio and with the dude that has worked with Meshuga. That's method one. Method two is to work with local bands and one of them develops a career and takes you with them. Like, that's it. There are no other ways that I can think of other than maybe you're in a band that gets famous. Yeah, that's the third one. Okay, so that's the third one. So you're in a band that gets famous and you're the producer and you get known for that or something. Yeah, because I've thought about that exact same thing. It's those two and those, those three things that if you look at everybody who's doing this, that's 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 how it goes, basically. Yeah. That's it. So, yeah, so you go to Daniel. You want to go learn from the dude that did Meshuggah. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. And while I was there, it was like, the thing is, I was... I was really into it. It was so much fun learning all these things. And it was so different than what I had learned at school. It was like, okay, but this is how we really do it. And it was... <laughs> Man, that's that's funny you say that. that I feel like that's kind of with URM. That's like, that's our whole thing is 
there's how you learned it in school, and it's how, and here's how people actually do it in real life. Exactly. Daniel's showing me, like, to smash the compressor on something. That was like, holy shit, are you supposed to do that? Does that work, really? That is URM right now, because, and that didn't exist. I mean, internet barely existed back then. So, I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's weird. It's weird, but I mean, the thing is, because schools don't really give you that kind of information. They have weird rules. The specifics of a genre, you just need to learn it from the people who do it in real life. Exactly. And I felt that was the right thing to do and be part of that. And Clearly. Yeah, and be, and be in that environment. And I was also, while that was fun and all and, and learning stuff, I was very focused on like my own music because I had a band that you know, people were listening to. So I was like, I didn't know what I should focus on, you know, and looking back, I probably should have focused more on the production side, but but for a while I kind of strayed off, you know, f- from that. I wasn't making any money as an intern and Daniel didn't have, you know, a- enough money back then to pay me either. So it lasted for a while and then I started to work in uh, TV and dubbing audio, basically. Because in Sweden we do dubbing as we do in most other, you know, non-English speaking countries. But in Sweden we only do it for like kids movies and stuff. So I started working there and and I just stayed there for so many years. So when I got back with Daniel, it had been like, I don't know, 15 years or something when I got back to working with him. So that's how I know him from way back then. And so so much time had passed in between there, me doing other stuff. And he was also doing that kind of work, you know, for for a while. And um, because it's, uh, it's a great, you know, side hustle if you're working in music. Yeah, totally. Um, so it was basically like a big sense of familiarity when you got working with him again. Oh, we, I mean, we've stayed friends throughout the years, and so then that's perfect. Yeah, I mean, when I started doing music, you get music production again full time. Uh, before I got back to Daniel, I mean, I was doing it for a few years before I I moved into his place. We were calling each other like not every day, but at least a few times a week, just like. Oh man, can I can I show you this these files that I've received? How am I supposed to mix this? Listen to this, you know that kind of stuff. We were like being each other's <laughs> therapists, you know, basically just when you're pissed off and you just want to scream, you just call somebody who understands what you're going through, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, people in URM in the group, you should know that when you post about negative things that happen with clients, everybody's reading. Uh, It's better to find someone you can confide in like a friend and vent to them via text or verbally, but not in front of the, not in front of the world. Yeah. Everybody does it, but I think it's important to do it discreetly and with someone you trust rather than uh, in public in front of the whole world. Yeah, because we we need to get it out. We need to talk about it. You do, absolutely. Yeah, but that's not a public thing, n- not at all. I mean, yeah, you need to be a professional and and uh, and stuff like that. But I mean, it's just it's just you know venting frustration, not not towards anybody or any band or something. It's just like this, uh, as with any job, this can become you know it can be so much fun and it can be a fucking pain in the ass sometimes and you just have to fix things i've heard you say say this a thousand times it's just like we're professional problem solvers you know to a certain extent i mean if you get if you get uh, big enough you can hire somebody to solve your problems and just do the fun stuff but still yeah we're, we're just fixing things a lot of the time but that's not necessarily a bad thing yeah at least for 
quite a few engineers. Now, I don't consider producing to be constant problem solving, even though there are problems, but that's more of like a vision thing. With engineering is mostly problem solving. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I know quite a few engineers who find Zen in that, actually. Like their happy place, their happy calm place is right in it with those problems solving them. That's weird because it can be, obviously, yeah. And it has been for me as well when you find something that... Because first you become frustrated and then you figure out how you're going to do something and you've probably found a new way to do something and you've learned something new. So, uh, And that has happened to me many times. I'm like, hmm, what if I try this? Oh, shit, it actually worked. Okay, fine, perfect. I can put that in the bag, you know, for later, you know. There's like this cycle of learning a skill, using a skill, getting comfortable with a skill, getting proficient, mastering a skill, then coming up against a problem where that skill no longer works or your skill set no longer works or it kind of works but not well enough. And that's an uncomfortable, frustrating feeling because everything that you've been working on just doesn't work for this. And so you're not good enough yet. (laughs) You have to become better in order to solve this problem. So the reason it's frustrating, in my opinion, is because in that moment, it doesn't mean you're not talented enough or not capable of learning it. But in that moment, you're not good enough to solve the problem. So you're feeling this frustration. It's more with yourself than the problem. And I don't mean you specifically. No, no, no. I think people in general, I think that frustration is, even if they don't realize it, more than anything, they're mad at themselves because they're not good enough to solve this problem yet. The ones that are great, though, they come up against this feeling all the time that I'm not good enough to solve this problem. Yeah. And then they beat their head into a wall until the wall breaks and they solve the problem and they just keep on doing this. And their cycle of mastery to frustration to mastery to frustration is much quicker than someone who's maybe mediocre. They they keep on bringing themselves up against these challenges where they're not good enough to do it, then they become good enough to do it, master it, then hit another challenge where they're not good enough to do it. Again, repeat, repeat, repeat. Like I actually think inviting those feelings in, trying to find those things is one of the ways to get a lot better, a lot faster. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's experience. When you solve one problem, it's easier to solve the next one and the next one. And you know, when you're up for a challenge and uh, you're not going to be scared, you're going to be excited to try to fix something because that is the fulfillment you get when you fix something that is uh, deemed unfixable sometimes. It's it's a great feeling. And, and, and I agree what you say, what you said, you're frustrated with yourself. I mean, jokingly, we can be frustrated that we even took the job sometimes without, you know, listening to the files or whatever. We've all we've all been there. But it's like you need a lot of experience. You need to have been doing it for maybe not a long time, but doing it a lot to be able to. Because uh, I'm sure. I mean, I've 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 seen in the group. I, I don't, you know, I don't mix a lot of stuff from URM myself because I don't have the time. But I see sometimes that students complain about some files being messed up. And it's like, yeah, that happens. The original mixer probably didn't bother him, just fixed it, you know? So, yeah. (laughs) I always laugh about that stuff. Yeah, so funny. Because, yeah, because on what planet are sessions perfect? (laughs) Because I've never seen one. 
I've no. never seen a perfect session. That's a unicorn. It doesn't matter how. Yeah, it doesn't matter how big or expensive of a record it is. There are no perfect sessions. So when someone comes into Nail the Mix, downloads the tracks, and complains that they discovered a problem on like one of the rooms or like <laughs> something something who knows yeah and but then instead of just fixing it they make a big deal of it that's immediately you know they're completely inexperienced yeah but i mean both uh, i'm sure both you and me and, and everybody has kind of been there where you you, you thought it was going to be one way and it turns out it's it's not and you were kind of a, a little bit cocky as uh, when you, when you were younger or just starting out now we've been through through so much shit and we've we've understood that way up in the highest, highest of productions and where there's the biggest artists, the the most money floating around, they have shitty sessions too. They have files that are messed up too. That was the biggest aha moment when you started working on quote unquote big productions and and recorded by this fantastic engineer in this fantastic studio. And it's just like, this is, yeah. I mean, there's problems here too. There's distortions going on. There's a dropout. There's, you know, it's just life. Yeah, totally. Well, when I see that kind of reaction inside the community, it doesn't piss me off or anything. What I see is no. there's an opportunity to teach somebody something because obviously they don't know. They're they're inexperienced, so it's perfect. Yeah, exactly. You hooked up with Daniel, and at the time I met you, you had been doing a lot of mastering there and also doing some stuff with Daniel, but uh, you're not there anymore. Yeah, I was doing a lot of mastering because that was the one thing that he didn't do. So, And he was like, you know, all these um, bands are asking me if I master as well, and now I can just say, yes, I can offer mastering with my my guy, Lawrence, here. So that's what I, I'm... I'm basically mastered everything that he did there that didn't go to another mastering engineer that was kind of the band's choice. And I still kind of do. He still sends me, you know, a lot of stuff to master. So um, we worked for a, a few years. He had been thinking about letting that studio go for a while. And Frederick was, uh, you know, building this new studio in Stockholm and he wa- he, had, he was building an extra room. It was like, yeah, perfect, because Daniel and, and Frederick have been, you know, working together for forever. They, they just gel, which I, I don't have a good way to say it, but they're like two mad scientists, you know, together. It just explodes. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, exactly. So he went there. It was also a very good opportunity for me to kind of distance myself a little bit and try to... We were talking about earlier that how many ways it is. There are like three ways to get into this and assisting somebody and being an intern is one, but you have to let go of that as well. Yeah. You can't stay with that person forever because then you're just going to be in the shadow of somebody else. Yes, that's correct. That assistantship route is meant to be temporary. What's supposed to happen is that during that time, you're supposed to pick up your own clients. Yeah, exactly. So that you can move out on your own and have a career. Yeah, because it's easy to get comfortable and like, yeah, work is coming in, you know, but but now, and it was a really good thing that I did that. I don't know, maybe I would have still sat there today if he didn't close the studio, but I'm very glad that it happened because it kind of got me more, you know, hungry to, because um, I mean, I had work, but, but I was kind of, I didn't have enough work, I felt. But now, I mean, just these last three years, now I definitely do, you know, so it was a good thing. I got my own place, um, just a mixing, um, mastering studio. I lived happily ever after. I mean, 
Bloodbath sounds great. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. That was a big one for me. I mean, it was the first first time I got to work with a band that was um that I kind of really really liked before, you know, and actually bought a t-shirt, you know, a, a long time ago before I, you know, got to work with them and so that was kind of a, a really great feeling to do that album. It's cool, right? Yeah. You don't get to the point of being to choose everyone you work with unless you're beyond mega successful. Yeah. At most, you can hope for working with some bands you like, but you're going to have to work with bands you don't like. Like, mm. it is what it is, It's and it's fine. Sure. Um, it's still a cool job. But that's why when you do get to work with bands that you're legitimately a fan of, it's a special thing. Absolutely. The thing is, though, I'm kind of a believer that might sound silly, but it's this idea of if you can envision something that it will eventually happen. And and there's I've seen so many things have happened that way where I see that if you can see a path somewhere, it has to be a link. There has to be a way. I can't just from nowhere just say I'm going to work with Metallica because there's no there's no way I can't see a path. You know the signal chain is broken somewhere. There's a piece of gear that's broken in that you know in that path. But there was a path towards Bloodbath, and I saw that, and I knew that it was possible, and it was. And it became true. It's all because of the people that you meet and the people that you work with. One one thing leads to another, and suddenly you're just like you're there, and you just remember, oh yeah, eight years ago I thought wouldn't it be cool to work with this band, and now I am, you know. So uh, yeah, but it needs there's needs to be a path there, and if if there if there is a path that you can see, you just need to you know, keep keep looking towards that direction, you will eventually end up there. Very cool of you to mention that because um, that's how I think about things too. Yeah. Well, anything I've done in my life that has done well, even when there's a big risk involved, I never thought there was a big risk because I could see the path. Mm. Even if no one else could see it, for me, there was this logical order of events. Like I could see how it would get to the other side. And so I just did that. It wasn't crazy to me. Um, my projects that have failed have been the ones where I just, my brain can't work out the path to success. Yeah. I, it just is blurry. I just don't see it. That's the thing. I mean, seeing it and just like, you have to keep thinking about it and thinking and try to walk that, you know, that route in your mind and you're you're just going to you're going to come across all these things oh it's not going to work because of that and then you solve that problem like in your mind you have to keep thinking about these things because uh, just by thinking thinking about it it you will uh, subconsciously be moving towards it. Even if you don't think you're actively doing something, you're moving towards it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I love that that's how you see things because I think that if you let this stuff just happen by chance, now that to me is what's super risky. Mm. A career in music is risky to begin with. Yeah. But if you're not basically making bold moves and charting your own path and uh, really, really figuring this out, it's going to be a tough, tough road. And if you succeed, it's going to be purely by chance. Yes. I don't like those odds. Those odds are terrible. <laughs> yeah, they were the worst. Yeah. Well, you can work outside of those odds if you figure out a path to success. Yeah, that's why it's so good that, I mean, that, and I see it a lot in the URM community that you talk a lot about 
if you don't know anybody and you want to do this, you have to get to know people. I mean, it sounds easy, but you need to like go meet people at shows and talk to bands or whatever. But that's so important. How else are you going to do something? I mean, you have to kind of get out there and make friends, basically, because that that's what it's all about. You meet someone and you do some work for somebody else and that person knows that person and that's the way it goes. You, you, can't, you can't shut yourself in and create a website and think that things are just going to happen by themselves. You need to think about it and you need to actively throw yourself out there. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this podcast, then you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multi-tracks to a new song by artists like Lamb of God, Angels and Airwaves, Knock Loose, Opeth, Meshuga, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Over 60 at this point. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song on the album and takes your questions live on air. And these are guys like TLA, Will Putney, Jens Bogren, Dan Lancaster, Tui Madsen, Andrew Wade, and many, many more. You'll also get access to MixLab, which is our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics, as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multitracks cleared for use in your portfolio so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those of you who really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhance, which includes everything I already told you about, and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low end, and so forth. It's over 500 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-ones, which are basically office hour sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes and fix it up and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills in your audio career, head over to urm.academy to find out more. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep, it's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. ABC Friday. It just takes one great idea to change your life. Shark Tank returns for its 15th season. I didn't know I was going to cry right now. With new guest sharks, Jason Blum of Blumhouse, Michael Rubin of Fanatics, and Candace Nelson of Sprinkles Cupcakes. I'm going to make you an offer. On a scale of 1 to 10. I've never seen anything like this on Shark Tank. This season is a 15. I totally believe in you. Shark Tank premieres Friday on ABC and stream on Hulu. Yeah, so when you built the new place, how did that work as far as getting clients over there? Did you just hit up people you were working with and tell them you were moving to a new place? Or was it 
Like, did, did it even matter that you moved? No, it didn't. That, okay, that's what I thought. So you just had bookings and bookings continued as usual and just you happened to be in a new place. Yeah, I just made sure like, okay, I need I need a couple of weeks to set this place up, you know, and um, as good as I can, you know, and then I'll keep chipping away at it, you know, obviously uh, making improvements. But I was booked and I was like, yeah, I have two, three weeks here when I have the time to do everything, put everything, treat the room and paint and everything. And, and I was just listening to, well, basically I needed inspiration. So I was just listening to your end podcasts for like two weeks straight. I had missed a lot of episodes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, no, but it was good, you know, and, and um, so uh, it didn't matter where I was. I had been mixing at home. Actually, I mixed an album in my living room, you know, before in between Daniel and this new place. And uh, it was... Um, yeah, that that album won an award in Sweden. So it's like, yeah, you can mix a, you can mix an album in an untreated room if you if you trust your your hearing. And but so it didn't matter where I was, and nobody asked where I was working. And I was I had been working in this new place for a few months when I put up, you know, some pictures. You know, hey, here's my new place. You know, I wasn't set on having a recording studio because. I mean, 90% of what I do is mixing or mastering. But now in this place, I have, I'm luckily, uh, I'm lucky enough to have recording capabilities. I, I can record drums next door and, and, uh, and track it in here and everything. So I can do full productions, but it's not a studio in that sense. You know, there's no place to kind of hang out or something. It's just, I have, my, I have a mix room basically with, with recording capabilities. So that's it. That sounds great though. Yeah, it's great. It's been really good to get out of the home because just working at home for, at first it was fine and it was the beginning, beginning of the whole pandemic as well. So it was just, it felt good to just be, be at home, but it's so great to have some place else to go. And if, if somebody's thinking about, you know, getting a room if you have the money to get a room somewhere else it's so nice to just go somewhere else and work and then go back home so you kind of separate those two that's the way i like it anyway yeah tell me more about what it was like mixing bloodbath i love bloodbath i want to hear more about this <laughs> i love that band too it's so insane when i heard you know night nightmares made flesh was the first one i heard i didn't hear the the, the first album at first and I remember, well, like like so many so many other people hearing that album and also thinking, you know, this is awesome death metal and it sounds so good, and that was a scary thought for me. Just, I mean, I'm I'm okay. So just yeah, just think about this. I'm 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 following up Jens Bogren. David Castillo, well, for Don Svana to begin with, uh, from, from the beginning, the OG guy. So, I mean, I'm following up these all these great producers. And so that album was on my mind for a year. You know, I had to, I had to make it, you know, the best thing I, I ever did, basically. And the thing is, I was also kind of in charge of the production and making sure everything they recorded sounded great because... It was all done during the pandemic and everybody recorded themselves basically apart from the vocals and I'll get to that. But first off, the drums were recorded. Axe recorded those drums in his home. I went up there with a drum tech just to check everything out and make sure everything was, you know, I had a good signal and everything. And, and then he recorded himself and just sent me 
you know, files. But once we got those drum tracks done and compiled, everything was just, you know, got a lot easier from that point on. And guitars were tracked, DIs were tracked at the rehearsal space by Thomas, who is the the new guitar player in the band, the new second guitar player in the band. And then I recorded, then Nick... The vocalist came down to Stockholm and we recorded. I tracked the vocals there in Stockholm with with the guys in the band for a week. So everything was was set, you know, for mixing. So mixing everything was. I knew what I had, you know, and uh, I knew I had a clear vision of how I wanted it to sound. And the guys also had a very clear vision of of. Well, they didn't have a very clear vision, but they had a vision, and the vision was not to do the whole HM2 Stockholm death metal. All right, that's different. Yeah. They didn't want to do that again um, because they kind of, I think they had kind of squeezed as much of that as possible, you know, that they could get from that. And also it had become such a big thing, the whole HM2, so many bands doing it. And and, uh, so they want to kind of move towards your neck of the woods, uh, Florida, basically. They wanted it to be a little... Well, my old neck of the woods. Yeah, your old neck of the woods. A bit more Florida inspired, you know. And uh, they were really, they were looking at, they were listening to a lot of D-Side and Cannibal Corpse and, you know, mostly American death metal. So they didn't want the HM2 sound. And I, I was totally on board with that, but I wanted to create a guitar tone for them that was... That was, yeah, you know, I mean, maybe not unique, but that was new. I wanted to figure out something completely new that I hadn't even done before. So that was that was one of the main, you know, fun things about that album was me reamping and just trying new new sounds and just figuring out that oh, hey, I can use this shitty pedal and I could just put it in the effects return and I can go straight into the pedal, use it as a preamp, basically. And so I was like trying out all my all my distortion pedals. Ooh, I wonder which one sounds great if I put it in. What happens if I stick it in this hole, you know, and just trying a bunch of stuff and, and eventually, you know, combining things and coming up with something that kind of has the same, same kind of fizziness and fullness and, and just like, because you need, in, there needs to be a lot of distortion going on, but you need to, to be able to hear the, the tone clearly as well. So I was a mad scientist there for a couple of weeks, but yeah, I'm really I'm really happy with it in the end. Well, I mean, trying to figure something out that is just as cool as this classic, classic tone, but that's new, that's tough. Yeah. That's a tall order actually. Yeah. It is. I mean, you got it. Yeah, I think I think I got it. I, I got something that I liked, but unfortunately, it's in it's impossible for me to to hear this album. You know, the way everybody else have heard it. You know, for the first time. I wish we had one of those. You've seen Men in Black, right? When they can erase the memory. Yes. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want one of those pens that you just <laughs> flash, <laughs> because uh, as soon as you like deliver the masters or something, you want to be able to do that and just listen to it fresh. Because, uh, but I've heard from so many people that it sounds really good and it sounds really powerful and everything and everything that I wanted it to sound like is what people are saying about it, and that makes me happy, you know, and. Um, and I mean, I'm in love with the album still, and but you know, obviously, I've I've heard it to death, but it's the best uh, production that I've been involved with. I think you know, just because of the experience, basically. Well, I think it's fucking cool, man. I think it's great. 
I love that you're getting to do legendary bands on your own now. Yes. And remember that path that we talked about? I can finally actually say today that I've done some work on the new Catatonia album as well. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. I know. It's really cool. I, I was, um, I mean, we became friends, obviously, Jonas and Anders, while we were doing the Bob Bath album. He wanted me to come and track guitars and bass for the new album. And there's this, I can say this now, I think, because there's a single coming out tomorrow, Wednesday. Okay, so yeah, you say tomorrow, Wednesday, but by the time this comes out, yeah, it will have been, so we're recording this Tuesday, October 25th, yeah. twenty. 22. Exactly. So I guess the single is coming out the 26th yeah. of October 2022. Yeah. Just for people listening five <laughs> years in the future or something. Yeah. Hi. Hey, hi from the past. We're, 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 my name's Lawrence. So that was a really great experience as well. And um, the drums are done by Jacob Hansen and Jacob also did fantastic mix of it. And he was happy with my file. So I was like, yay. That, that's always a big thing. Like the first time you, you record something and send it off to a to a producer and because i haven't done that that much it's nerve-wracking yeah it is and but all you need to figure out is like how would i want this how would i want it and then just just do that and and you you're fine you know it's weird man with the new doth stuff i didn't even engineer it and I yeah. felt that way sending the stuff to Jens Bogren. Nice. John Douglas engineered the majority of it. He's a beast. Oh, he's a beast. Oh, I wasn't worried about it. But still, like, I still had that feeling because John sent me the zips and then I went through and made sure that everything was right. Because there's like 8 million tracks on it. <laughs> so I did like one final check through before sending it to Jens. So I'm the one that sent it to Jens. And I still had that feeling that like, mm. ugh, <laughs> sending it to that guy. <laughs> that guy, yeah. Yeah, and I, I had the same feeling with Colin Richardson back in the day. Like it's nerve wracking when one of those dudes, whoever it is, just one of those dudes is going to look at your work. Yeah, Exactly. Puts hair on your chest. It does, yeah. I mean, luckily, I'm kind of, I feel confident now. Even more hair. <laughs> Even more hair. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fucking, I'm getting older. It's, I'm getting hairier by the minute. Not putting it on my head, but <laughs> definitely on my chest. It just moves down from the head and just to the rest of the body and just make you. Yeah, I've just been giving lots of files over the years to lots of these dudes. So <laughs> more of the hairs, <laughs> hairs not coming back to my head, but it is definitely <laughs> on my chest. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, luckily I've been, uh, I've been doing this for a while. So I was kind of like, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't nervous that way, you know, just like I, I, I knew that um, I knew that he probably knew that I, I, I knew what I was doing. And because, I mean, I was trusted. The guys trusted me to record this. So I'm sure Jacob was like, yeah, we'll be fine. And he, he didn't ask for anything. When I sent everything and it's like quiet, it's like, yes, thanks. And you don't hear anything. That's like, whew. Great. <laughs> it's still a good feeling to get to get it confirmed that everything's fine and you know you you haven't messed anything up and uh, yeah it's uh, it worked out like a charm. Well, congratulations. I mean, I think that's great. I'm not surprised either that all this stuff's happening. Yeah, I want to hear about the voice acting though. Yeah, yeah, that's that that's kind of a, a fun thing because. I mean, I guess you don't have that like in, in English-speaking countries, but there's a big business of doing... We we do. Yeah? I have a few friends who do voice acting, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, 
Like, and uh, this isn't some secret because he's been posting this on his social media, but like Mark from Periphery, Mark Holcomb has yeah. been doing some even. And, oh, uh, that's and awesome. yeah, like I know it's not a secret because it's on his, <laughs> it's on his socials. Yeah. Like I know quite a few people who are doing it. That's cool. The thing with doing it over here is that we, it's very rare that we do original productions because we basically just voice, make a Swedish version of the American original or the, the English speaking original. So that's obviously a big business in every country that, that doesn't speak English and, I mean, as you know, in like in Germany and Spain, you know, they basically do everything. Friends, the TV show is in German and Spanish, Italian and everything. But we don't do that in Sweden. But we do everything. We do stuff that's that's, you know, catered for kids, cartoons and stuff. And as I said, I was working as an engineer in that area for for a long time, 10 years, I think. And I started off as an engineer and quickly it became like, oh, we need a voice. We have like um, policeman too who needs to say say a line. Can you do it? Yeah, and I did it. And, you know, one thing led to another. I was doing more and more voice work. I was promoted to being like in the production manager of, of productions. And all of a sudden I was just managing a, a full studio doing this, this work while simultaneously doing voice work. And then it just all became like too much for me. I was just, I just decided that, you know, this isn't what, what I want to do anymore. I'm not doing music anymore. So that's why I stopped doing the whole like production side of it and just started working in music again. So now the only thing I do in that, world is that I do voices. Here's a fun thing. Uh, we're talking about the whole um, seeing, a, seeing a path somewhere. While I was working at a studio, I saw that a movie w- was, uh, was incoming called um, Kung Fu Panda, and it was Jack Black. I've always loved Jack Black as an actor and as a singer. And I was thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great if I could do that, if I could do that, that voice, because I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a rock singer and I'm a chubby guy. It's perfect, you know. So, uh, <laughs> so funnily enough, I was like, um, the studio where I was working said, we need to do a really quick teaser and we don't have the voices set yet. You know, we're going to do voice tests and everything with like famous Swedish actors and stuff. But we just need to get this done. Uh, we want you to do the panda. So I did that in the trailer. And then it was just like, yeah, okay, I've done, I've done the tra- trailer, but I'm not going to do, probably not going to do the whole movie because in, in Sweden, they kind of make a big thing of having famous people do the voices as, as the originals. And uh, so they did a bunch of voice tests for those characters and they approved all the voices except for Poe the Panda that Jack Black was doing. They, they didn't like anybody that, that had done the voice test. And finally, they, when I say they, I'm talking about like DreamWorks in, in, uh, in the States because they communicate like with the studio in, in Stockholm because they make the final decision. Even if they don't really know the language, they can hear that, okay, this is going to be a great voice for, for the panda or, or whatever character it is. The studio in Sweden said like, okay, yeah, we've tried a bunch of people, you know, uh, we don't, we have to think about this. We don't have any, anybody famous in mind that, and and DreamWorks said, it doesn't have to be anybody who's a big name. I mean, what about that guy who did the teaser? That sounded great. 
So that's how I got the job, basically. So it's like me and then a bunch of Swedish famous actors in that movie, and <laughs> which was fun because I was probably the only person who people didn't know by name when they when that first movie was came out. And since then, I've done like three movies, I think, and just I'm doing now. I'm dubbing a TV series um, on Netflix, and it's kind of a it's a good. Uh, side hustle to have, you know, on top of this. That sounds like a fun side hustle. And that's not like too time consuming and too much bullshit. No, yeah, you get booked like to do, I like to do a lot of hours, you know, I don't like to go in and just do one hour, but but I do, uh, let's say a, an episode takes like an hour to do. And so I'll go to Stockholm and just work for four hours. And since I basically work myself anyway, just do mostly do mixing and mastering, can pretty much make up my own schedule. So yeah, it's a great thing to do. And uh, apart from that, I'll do, I'm doing I'm do I do Tony I'm, I'm the Swedish Tony Stark in the Avengers as well. And basically all the and and if you if you get if you get a Marvel character, you basically have is there's like ten series that you you you're in all of a sudden because there's like Spider Man, there's Hulk, there's everything. So yeah, <laughs> dude, that's fucking cool. Yeah, it's cool. I'm not sure if I'm if I'm gonna do the f- the movie or not, but I, I just did a trailer for Super Mario movie because ob- now they're thinking like, okay, Lawrence is is Jack Black. So whenever Jack Black does a, a cartoon character, I will probably be asked to do it. So and he he does like I think he does yeah Bowser uh, character in in Super Mario. So uh, I just did that as well. <laughs> That's uh, amazing. <laughs> well, congrats on that. Sounds like all kinds of good stuff is going on, man. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just ticking, ticking on a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's great. Well, Lawrence, I think it's a good place to end the episode. I want to thank you for taking the time to hang out. I want to congratulate you on everything awesome. And it's been awesome just getting to hear about it. Thank you. It's been great to catch up. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, cool. We'll do it again (laughs) before five years. Let's do it. Yeah, it's a date. All right, then. Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends, as well as post them to your Facebook and Instagram or any social media you use. Please tag me at ALLEVYURM Audio at URM Academy. And of course, tag our guests as well. I mean, they really do appreciate it. In addition, do you have any questions for me about anything? Email them to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. And use the subject line, answer me, al. All right, then. Till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.